Well, good afternoon and welcome to A Reason for Hope. My name is Adrian. I am co-hosting today on a gorgeous, hot, humid, sunny <laughs> Arizona afternoon. We're hoping for a thunderstorm somewhere in our future. Yeah. Please rain. Mm, yeah. <laughs> there was a dance that I could do that would cause that to happen. I would be doing it. Yes. Yes. <laughs> But uh, anyway, we're so grateful. We hope you had a good weekend, and this is a reason for hope. This is a weekday Bible answer program where we take questions from you, the audience, questions about the Bible, about the Christian worldview, and uh, we want to engage with people live. We want to give people a reason for hope. So there are multiple ways for you to do that. You can, of course, join us online. On We live stream to multiple platforms simultaneously. So, for example, if you want to just join us on Facebook, you can go to facebook.com. And uh, look for us, Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson. That's where we are live streaming from, Tucson, Arizona. And uh, you can just look for at CCF Tucson. That's going directly to our page. Or you can just search for our church. Join the live stream, use the chat box, leave your questions. We'll monitor them throughout the live stream. Again, we do this every weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. We also live stream to YouTube. And again, if you are following us on any of these social media platforms, we would really appreciate it from the bottom of our hearts if you would subscribe and if you're on YouTube hit that notification bell because we live stream all our services special events special speakers um, on, on these platforms so if you want to catch what we're doing uh, teaching wise you can catch us there and on Facebook we teach through the whole Bible book by book chapter by chapter verse by verse so if you want to go through for example a study of the book of Leviticus and you want to know what Pastor Scott has taught through that book you can actually follow verse by verse as he teaches through you can take notes and uh, we have archive you can find that on our website which I'll get to in a moment but just want to let you know that that was all available if you want to find us on YouTube you can just go to youtube.com and search for a reason for hope or go straight to our handle by typing in forward slash at a reason for hope 546 <clears throat> we also archive our program on rumble so if you want to just bypass if you're if you're revolting against the other mega social media platforms you can just go to rumble we categorize them by the top three questions answered in that program so it's easy to sift through and if you do catch us on rumble we would really love if you'd follow us in case we start live streaming there sometime in the future we can grow our audience there as well if you want to avoid social media altogether just go to our website calvarychristianfellowship.com Go to the watch live tab not only can you watch this program as well as our services live you can leave your questions or comments right in the little chat box and there's a nifty little button where you can make prayer requests so if you have something weighing heavily on your heart and you would like us here in our little community of believers to pray for you feel free to take advantage of that we would love to put you through our prayer chain <clears throat> we also have a bible app if you're part of our community and would like to stay a little bit more connected, more in touch of what's going on. Uh, there's a nifty little app that you can download. Just go to the Apple or Google Play Store. You can download it by searching for Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson or CCF. And if you see that little logo with the dove on it, that's probably us. You can download that and you can follow along with what our events are going on with different ministries, for example, student ministry or, or the children's ministry or small groups. You can also follow along messages, watch live. There's a nifty little digital Bible on there where you can leave notes, you can highlight texts. It's really, really a powerful tool. So we'd encourage you to download it and take advantage of it. If you, again, are a part of our community, it'd be great. Now, if you want to ask a question in this program and you're maybe a little sensitive about shouting out your question in public by using social media, feel free to email us. You can just email us at questionsforhope at gmail.com. That is questions for hope 
all letters, no numbers for those of you listening on the radio at gmail.com. And lastly, I encourage you to follow our senior pastor, Scott Richards, on Twitter, now called X, I believe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the the platform formerly known as Twitter. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> so you can uh, follow him. His his X handle, his Twitter handle is... Uh, it's going to take me a long time to get used to that. No, it's not it's, my X handle. It's still my handle. It's still your but handle. Now it, we're starting yeah. to sound like Abbott and Costello here. Yeah. yeah. Who's yeah. on first? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, it's at Scott for R, at Scott R4H. I'm always going to struggle to say that. My mouth was just not made to say the letters R4H in a row really fast, so I apologize for that. But it's at Scott R4H. That stands for Reason for Hope, by the way. So I'd encourage you to check him out there. It's a very entertaining and informative Twitter feed, and I'm going to still say Twitter because I believe in the bird. I don't know why. (laughs) (laughs) Now, before we take your questions today, We'll take a moment to pray and go to God, and because uh, it's not about us, it's about Him, it's about the Absolutely. truth, and so yeah. we want Him to be present with us. Yeah, let's do that. Father, I thank you for this opportunity to be able to explore your Word today, and I pray that uh, you would allow us to be able to uh, have our eyes open, to be able to see wonderful things in your truth. Uh, Lord, uh, things that apply directly to our lives, things that can give us perspective on the challenges of life that we're facing, things that can help us make sense of this uh, crazy world and where we're at in relation to the return of your son. I pray that all these things and a whole lot more would uh, come online. I pray, Father, that you'd uh, move upon the hearts of our uh, watching and listening audience, uh, that uh, they would uh, connect with us with questions, and that these questions would be the questions you want answered, Lord, uh, and that uh, they would realize that they're not only getting their questions answered, but maybe the questions on the heart of many other people that are joining the broadcast. Thank you for this uh, wonderful opportunity to draw close to you. I pray Mm. you'd bless uh, Adrian and I and uh, Mm. give us the ability to be able not just to answer the questions, but maybe even see the questions underneath the questions and uh, get to the issues of the heart. We give Mm. you the glory in advance for all you're going to do. In Jesus' name, Mm. amen. Amen. I like that. See the questions under the questions. That's true. And that's what Jesus did, didn't he? He always responded to nine out of ten times to a question with a question because, as someone once explained, when you respond to a question with a question, it causes the questioner to open up in their assumptions and gets down Mm. to the deeper root of what they really are asking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And one of the things I think you just discover, at least I have uh, in ministry, especially in like counseling situations, is that there are two issues in every counseling situation, the presenting problem and the real issue. And if you just deal with a presenting problem, uh, you're really not going to get down to uh, what the issue of the heart is all about. And that's mm. the wonderful thing about God's Word is that it does penetrate down to that level. Uh, God through His Spirit, uh, not through our skill or our ability to understand uh, the human heart. Uh, who could know it, the Scripture says. But mm. uh, the Word of God really does uh, not only reveal to us more about life than maybe we're interested in knowing more about ourselves definitely than we're interested in knowing what is but that also passage? but also how to uh, to receive god's healing in those areas mm. what is that passage the dividing of joints and marrow or i'm, I'm Hebrews, quoting it wrong but Hebrews uh, chapter four it is four okay the word of god is living and active sharper than any two-edged sword able to dis- discern between joints and marrow between soul and spirit mm. and able to uh to understand the thoughts and intents of the heart wow Pretty Good powerful. Stuff. Yeah, yeah, very much. Yeah. Well, we got a lot of questions rolling in. Do you have any updates on, uh, I know yeah, some, th- yeah, uh, some things uh, occurred with uh, uh, Russia and China this weekend. They were a little bit of concern. Well, um, you know, again, we're keeping an eye on these sort of things. Uh, it 
it's uh, interesting that that kind of heated up and cooled down. A real uh, brouhaha got going uh, over the weekend. Uh, actor Jamie Foxx uh, posted uh, on uh, his uh, Twitter feed uh, this uh, following uh, tweet. Uh, they killed this dude named Jesus. What do you think they'll do to you? Hashtag fake friends, hashtag fake love. Well, who is the they being referred to there? Well, immediately people uh, began to say that this was uh, the rise again of an accusation against the Jewish people called deicide. That is that the Jews were the ones who killed Jesus. And, uh, you know, again, this is a, um, a scriptural distortion, I think, that has had a lot of traction over time. Certainly it was the fuel behind uh, inquisitions and pogroms and uh, campaigns to, even in uh, Nazi Germany, motivate the average uh, German person uh, to want to do away with the Jewish people as Christ killers and so forth. Mm. Uh, some Jewish friends of mine, even in the United States, uh, you know, will recall times where they were uh, called that epithet by uh, people even here as they were growing up as children. Uh, and, and so very sensitive issue. Uh, after coming under fire for that particular tweet, uh, Jamie Foxx deleted the post and published this apology. He said, I want to apologize to the Jewish community and everyone who was offended by my post. I know my choice of words have caused offense and I'm sorry, that was never my intent. Uh, to clarify, I was betrayed by a fake friend, and that's what I meant with they, not anything more. I only have love in my heart for everyone. I love and support the Jewish community. My deepest apologies to anyone who was offended. Well, uh, in the Jerusalem Post, uh, there was an article uh, written by an author named Zina Rachmalova, uh, who uh, just wasn't buying Jamie Foxx's uh, apology. Uh, said it just doesn't add up, even if uh, Fox had had a grievance with a Jewish person. Uh, his post reflected his belief about an entire people. These are the words uh, in the Jerusalem Post. What is worse is that other celebrities with large platforms shared Fox's post, and over 130,000 people liked it, showing how pervasive this trope <coughs> is in mainstream society. So the big question comes up. The Jerusalem Post editorial uh, denies uh, that uh, the Jews killed Jesus and uh, basically tries to discredit uh, the eyewitness account that we find in the Gospel of Matthew is the source of all that, saying you can't rely on Matthew's account, which I think is bogus. But uh, we need to ask, uh, I think, a really important question. Who really did kill Jesus? Who was responsible for Jesus' death? Well, the answer to that question uh, is uh, not as simple as some people might make it out to be. Uh, did the uh, Jews, the Jewish leadership, have uh, a role in all of that. The scribes, the Sadducees, the Pharisees greatly opposed Jesus. They, they accused him of blasphemy. Uh, their chief priests and elders uh, not only accused him of a capital crime, they mocked him, had the, the uh, council uh, pass a vote uh, in a kangaroo court, uh, an illegal uh, series of Jewish tribunals uh, conducted in the wrong place at the wrong times, uh, and uh, uh, sentenced him to death, uh, had Jesus uh, beaten, uh, again, uh, when Jesus was brought before Pontius Pilate, and he put them out to the crowd. Uh, the crowd, which was almost entirely Jewish, shouted, uh, crucify him. Uh, and uh, they asked for Barabbas, a thief, to be released instead of Jesus. There was no doubt about the fact 
that uh, the Jewish leadership, particularly the heads of the sect of the Pharisees uh, and the Sadducees, definitely wanted to kill Christ. In fact, no less an individual than a person who at that point would be called Rabbi Saul added this assessment. It says, for you, brothers and sisters, became imitators of God's children, uh, God's churches in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. You suffered from your own people the same things those churches suffered from the Jews who killed the Lord Jesus and their prophets and drove us out. They are displeased God and are hostile to everyone. So we could say that uh, Jewish leadership, at the very least, did bear some responsibility for the death of Jesus Christ. But we also know that it wasn't just the Jews that were responsible. For instance, Peter's sermon at Pentecost, he said, Hello, Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited to you uh, by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death, nailing him to the cross. Well, there's no doubt about the fact that the Romans were the individuals who were referred to as wicked men. Although Pontius Pilate seemed to try to do his best to pass the buck, it was ultimately his order that allowed them to crucify Jesus. Uh, Pontius Pilate ordered uh, Jesus to be flogged, uh, scourged, which was called the living death at, at that time, uh, 39 lashes because people didn't survive 40 at that particular time. Uh, the Romans stripped him, uh, put a scarlet robe on him, put a crown of thorns on his head, nailed him to a cross, uh, and uh, again, they pierced his side with a, a spear to make sure he's dead. So if you want to talk about who is directly responsible for killing Jesus, it was certainly the Jews who were in favor of this, but it was the Romans who carried out the crime. So is it the Romans that killed Jesus? Should we, uh, I guess, have a uh, grudge in our heart against people from Italian descent because the Romans were involved with the death of Jesus. But wait, there's more. Was it God the Father who killed Jesus? The book of Isaiah, chapter 53, written 700 years before Christ. It says, but it was God's good pleasure to crush him, putting him to grief. And after he'd make his, uh, his soul an offering for sin, see his offsprings prolong his days, and the good pleasure of the Lord will mm -hmm. prosper in his hand. Nothing could have happened uh, without God the Father, uh, allowing his son to die on that cross. Uh, God didn't spare his only son, we are told, but gave him up for us all. Uh, so uh, again, Peter said in Acts chapter 2 and verse 23 that Jesus' death on the cross was according to God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. So it was God the Father that killed Jesus. Well, certainly it does seem that the, the will of God was satisfied and fulfilled when Jesus died. So wait a minute, it gets even deeper than all of this. Did Jesus kill Jesus? No, um, Jesus willingly laid down his life to pay the price for our sins. Uh, we are told in John chapter 10 and verse 17, for this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I might take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down. I have the authority to take it up again. So is it Jesus? being responsible for allowing his crucifixion to take place? Or was it us? Was it all of humanity? Uh, the book of Romans chapter 5 tells us that when we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For perhaps for a good man, someone might die. For a righteous man, someone might even dare to die. 
But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Hmm. So, you know, ultimately, uh, who is responsible for the death of Jesus? Well, uh, again, I think it all comes down to a uh, not an either or, it's a both and. Did hmm. Jesus die according to God's plan? Yeah. Did Jesus go along with God's plan, willingly laying down his life to pay the price for our sins? Yeah. Was it our sins that put him there? Yeah. Uh, were the people on the ground, the uh, Jewish religious leadership, responsible for uh, their violation of their own laws and railroading Jesus into death? Yeah. Were the Romans responsible for the awful atrocities and torturous death they inflicted on Jesus? Yeah, absolutely. Yes to all the above. But if you really want to put a, a blanket over it, the idea of deicide or that a particular ethnic group hmm. should be hated because of those events. Uh, well, you might as well hate the Romans. You might as well hate Jesus. You might as well hate God the Father. And you might as well, while you're at it, hate yourself because God gave his son to pay the mm -hmm. price for all of our sins. Now, I don't think it's necessarily helpful when a guy like Jamie Foxx launches a scud on Twitter like that that could be definitely taken that way and can definitely stir things up. And I think it's fascinating. One of the, the signs, I think, that we are getting closer and closer to the return of mm -hmm. Jesus is the rise of what I believe is in satanically inspired anti-Semitism in this world. Mm. Um, you know, it's just fascinating to me uh, out of all the people in the world, this very small uh, ethnic group compared to the vast population of the world, more than 20 million Jews in the world, population in the billions, you know, uh, you know why this focus on this? Yeah, especially when people are more concerned about someone's accent in a TV show like The Simpsons. Yeah. More concerned about a character playing a stereotype, nonetheless, but they're more concerned about that than they are the rampant anti-Semitism. Yeah. Not only in social media, but in our our own Congress. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and, and people will stand up in Congress and make uh, just awful anti-Semitic statements. So, you know, I think there's a spiritual element behind mm. it. Um, you know, again, we were told in the book of Revelation, chapter 12, this uh, passage that literally parts the curtains of reality and lets us see the spiritual reality behind the reality. Uh, we were told about the, the rise of a, a woman uh, who had a crown of 12 stars on her head, the moon underneath her. That goes back to the visions of Joseph in the book of Genesis, uh, the people of Israel and where they came out of. Uh, we are told that a great dragon uh, appeared, who is later identified as being Satan. Uh, the woman was in labor, and she gave birth to a child who will rule, would rule all nations with a rod of iron. Well, the dragon waited to devour the child as soon as it was born. But mm. again, God intervened and preserved the child. And it's really interesting. When the dragon is frustrated, it says he went off to make war with the woman and uh, her offspring because he couldn't kill the Messiah. You know, one of the things that I think we see uh, in spiritual warfare is this. Satan knows that he can't take God one-on-one, -on -one, face to face. He's a fallen angel of great power, but no match for God. Mm -hmm. uh, no way, shape, or form equal with God. So what does he do? He goes after those people that God loves the most, mm -hmm. and God loves the Jewish people. And so since God loves the Jewish people, since we have the promise in uh, Genesis chapter 12 and verse 3, 
uh, God saying to Abraham, I will bless those who bless you and your offspring. I will curse those who curse mm -hmm. you. Uh, I think we definitely need to be very, very careful with anti-Semitism, but it's another one of those things that I think is gonna play a big role in the last days in the mm -hmm. end times. The Antichrist uh, at uh, one point in his satanically inspired career is gonna wipe out two thirds of the Jewish people mm -hmm. according to the book of Zechariah. Uh, and, uh, and, and so we see the stage in a sense being set for these mm -hmm. sort of things. Yeah, if God, uh, if the evil one hates them that much now, can you imagine if it were possible how much more he'll hate them when they start becoming Christians oh, yeah. <laughs> in the hundreds of thousands? Yeah, well, uh, having a, a worldwide impact uh, as they will in the mm. final seven years of tribulation that's coming up. So whatever you do, you know, first of all, if you're a uh, professing believer in Christ and you have racist ideas, uh, that there are certain uh, ethnic groups or, or, or groups that are identified uh, in a certain culture or even a certain uh, appearance. And you feel like it is your God-given uh, call in life uh, to hate these people. Um, understand something. Uh, the book of Galatians tells us that in Christ there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. You're all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Uh, God only recognizes one color as far as humanity goes, and that's red, uh, the red blood of Jesus Christ that uh, paid the price for all of our sins. So if you have it in for a particular group and you just think they're the worst thing ever, uh, you just need to take a step back, shake yourself, because you do not uh, share God's point of view about this world on a very fundamental level. For God so loved the world mm. that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Not one particular group, not one particular church, not one particular political party. He loved the world, and uh, we need to share that heart. It is possible that Mr. I mean, it seems unlikely that Mr. Fox did not know what it would entail when he posted it. But at the same time, I wonder, could he have really meant something else and didn't realize how anti-Semitic it would have. Well, one, we give someone you the know, to, to, to wrap this up in a very practical vein, if you're involved in social media at all, um, read your post twice and then post once. Don't read it, post it, and then have to erase it because, as they say, screenshots make the interwebs forever. So, yeah. yeah. Well, thanks for that, Scott. Very great message a good reminder of the big picture yeah yeah well we got a uh, get some good questions lining up um, see if I can read this quickly um, Joe wanted to know hi not to get political sorry please don't take this as political but uh, what you said about Donald Trump last week how do we know he's not part of the NAR and shouldn't we just not vote at all would 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 rather the lesser evil than the greater evil isn't the right going to be used by the Antichrist in some way. Uh, and then he quotes something that Sean had said about uh, never trust a man that includes the left. Um, how can you say that, that the left deceived Christians? I don't think it's possible. It's more that called godly conservatives. Uh, I'm, I'm not familiar with the conversation, but. No, well, yeah, here, here's, the, here's the bottom line. And I think it's a great question. Um, you know, one of the things that you see uh, is prevalent in our day and age is uh, the idea of division. Um, the old divide and conquer mentality. Mm -hmm. And if we can characterize people by being of the left or being of the right, uh, immediately some tribalism starts creeping in. 
no matter what uh, group you tend to affiliate with, you tend to think your group is right and these other people over here are wrong. Well, that kind of divisiveness is, is very, very dangerous stuff right off the bat. Uh, as far as uh, politics is concerned, uh, you know, people uh, just sort of assume, because we're in a Bible-teaching evangelical church, that uh, I'm a registered Republican. I am not. Uh, I am a registered independent, uh, and there's a reason for that. Uh, I really believe that as a believer in Christ, uh, rather than uh, being a Republican or a Democrat, I will tell people I'm a monarchist because I serve a great king. Uh, I'm here as Christ's ambassador, the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And as an ambassador, if you serve in an ambassadorship, uh, you are very careful not to involve yourself in terms of throwing your weight behind one position or another in the country that you are there serving. Uh, you know, the uh, story uh, was told of uh, John Foster Dulles, who's a distant relative of mine, who's Secretary of State uh, back in the Eisenhower administration. He had a uh, one-question interview uh, that he would do with uh, people that were looking to become ambassadors. And uh, he would uh, bring them into his office. He had a large globe there. And he would say, okay, can you point to me on the globe the country that you are going to serve as ambassador? And nine times out of 10, they'd go there and they'd try to find uh, Tajikistan or, you know, North Korea or someplace like that on the, the globe. And they just assumed that it was a question about world affairs. And as soon as they would do that, uh, John Foster Dulles would say, thanks, but no thanks, we'll get somebody else for the job. Finally, uh, one person came in, he asked that question, and he looked at the globe, pointed at the United States and said, that's the country that I'm to be an ambassador to. You know, again, I represent that country. I don't represent these other countries. So, you know, in the book of Philippians, chapter 3 and verse 20, we are told, for our citizenship is in heaven, which we, from which we eagerly wait for a savior. Uh, my citizenship is higher uh, than the citizenship I hold as uh, an American a citizen of the United States. Don't get me wrong, I love my country. I believe that part and parcel of being a faithful Christian is uh, realizing I've been put in this particular set of circumstances, use whatever privileges and prerogatives as I can in a representative form of government like we have to uh, represent God even in the voting booth. Mm -hmm. And, and here's, here's where the issue uh, comes down to focus. Whether it's the right or the left, whether it's Republicans or whether it's Democrats, I think we do ourselves a disservice when we wrap ourselves in the banner or the flag of one political party or the other. What we should be doing as believers in Christ is looking at, first of all, the individual candidate that we are voting for and have in our mind uh, some non-negotiables, first of all, that will determine who we're going to support and who we're going to vote for. Uh, for me, I try to keep the non-negotiables as uh, limited as I possibly can. I have two. Number one, are they pro-life? Uh, there is no way around the fact, in, in my estimation, that the Bible speaks about our lives beginning from the moment of conception. Psalm 139, your eyes saw my unformed substance in the days which were ordained for me when there is not yet one of them. Uh, you know, again, from uh, womb to tomb, we're dealing about 
human beings. Human beings mm-hmm. are made in the image and likeness of God, particularly the most helpless human beings that we have. And one of the things you're going to find in Scripture is God is all over people that oppress the fatherless, the defenseless, the orphan, and the widow, mm-hmm. the people that can be easily taken advantage of or, or wiped away uh, by the more powerful. That's what I believe abortion on demand does. It takes the most helpless people in our society and strips them of rights, makes them inhuman, and uh, essentially gives them the death penalty for things they had no uh, involvement with. So in a nutshell, I don't see how anyone who is a Bible-believing Christian can be pro-choice. They say, well, it's okay, you know, Sure, you can kill your Agree baby. Agree to disagree. Yeah, no, no, <laughs> this is this is a deal breaker for me personally. Mm-hmm. The second issue that I look at before I'll vote for any candidate is this. Uh, are they uh, unequivocal supporters of the nation of Israel? God will bless those who bless Israel and curse those who curse them. I, I don't want to see any weaseling. I don't want to see any, well, you know, could be apartheid going on over there. You know, oh, you know, we get, we have to play both sides and... No, you have to be pro-Israel if you're going to get my vote. Those are non-negotiables. Now, I have a whole slew of other things that I could say are negotiable. Um, you know, again, financial sanity uh, would be a big one uh, for me. Environmental uh, issues, how they look at these sort of things. Uh, you know, the, uh, the idea of, uh, you know, having, say, strong borders, uh, you know, uh, serving in a church that's very close to the Mexican border. We have uh, a lot of, lot of people in our congregation that went through all the gyrations necessary to become a United States citizen by following the law. Very expensive, very arduous process. To me, it is absolutely unfair for line jumpers to get in front of these people who have uh, done what was right and made the sacrifices involved and get all the blessings and benefits of being a citizen without going through the proper channels. You say, well, you know, I don't know about our immigration. But great, elect people that are going to uh, change our immigration policy, mm. but uh, don't promote okay. lawlessness. Yeah, these are these are negotiables. You know, I'll look at a candidate and go, well, he's not really super strong on that, or I would disagree with him on this. But I have my negotiables and my non-negotiables. Mm. the The bottom line is this: I don't think we should go into a voting booth without having opened our Bibles first, mm. without praying first, without saying before the Lord as we look at our ballot, okay, what does it mean for me to represent you and your priorities in this? And believe it or not, these uh, basic standards have caused me in my voting career since I turned 18 to vote across party lines. Uh, there, there have been times where, you know, you say, well, you know, pro-Israel and pro-life. Well, you know, some of the, I could name names, but some of the most ardently pro-abortion, never met an abortion they didn't like candidates that I've seen in my chance of voting for congressmen and things like that have been Republicans. Hmm. You know, and, and if it's a Republican who just wants to use the pro-life issue uh, as something to gin up support but never does anything about it, hmm. um, then I'm not really interested in supporting someone like that either. So you, you've got to do your homework. God doesn't want just us just to say, well, you know, my kingdom's of another world, uh, so this world can go to H-E double hockey sticks and I really don't care. No, God will hold us accountable. We are supposed to be good citizens. Uh, read Romans chapter 13. 
God wants us to uh, be honorable in terms of how we conduct ourselves in our society. So, uh, you know, that I think is, is, is the more, I think, um, nuanced answer to all of that. Um, you know, when it comes to personalities, um, you know, individuals like Donald Trump or Joe Biden who can suck all the air out of the room and you know, become the focal point and do you like him or do you like him? Um, we shouldn't be respecters of persons. Hmm. We should look at the things they stand for, uh, the things that we look at in their track record and say, okay, um, maybe I don't like the way this guy uh, conducts himself uh, on the internet. But I do like the fact that, uh, you know, for instance, Donald Trump voted uh, in uh, or nominated, got voted in pro-life justices to the Supreme Court. So Roe versus Wade was overturned. I mm -hmm. think that was a great thing. Mm -hmm. Do I like everything that Trump did? No, yeah. and I could go into details about a lot of things that I think that he really messed up on. But no politician's gonna be perfect. Mm -hmm. So, you know, pro-Israel, pro-life, the other things, you know, you can have between you and the Lord. But uh, don't let these sort of things uh, become objects of division. Uh, Chuck Smith always used to say that if he stood up in his pulpit and took a position on a particular political issue or political candidate, endorsed them, um, he would lose half his audience. Hmm. And uh, <clears throat> what he was more interested in was telling people about Jesus, hmm. introducing them to him, and then helping them grow in their walk with God, hopefully in a way that is going to affect everything, including the way they vote. Hmm. So, That's good advice. Uh, Joe did have a little bit of a follow-up. What he was wanting to ask was that, uh, you know, I guess there was a comment about being deceived, and he said, isn't it impossible for Christians to be deceived by the left because it's so, in, in his mind, so plainly incorrect that it's most likely conservative pretend Christians or Christians quote-unquote they were more likely the ones to uh, deceive the elect in the last days. Um, As if, if, if that were, he does say, if that were, deceive if possible the elect. Uh, the so-called Christians with so-called moral vows would be the ones being the deceptive ones well, being used by the Antichrist. Well, here's the deal. Uh, you know, we have been given uh, the Holy Spirit uh, who is able to teach us and show us the difference between truth and error as believers in Christ. We've been given God's word as uh, a truth detector in this world. I think it's really fascinating, maybe this is the, the nub of the question, th that when the Antichrist comes on the scene in 2 Thessalonians chapter two, why is the world gonna follow the Antichrist? The, the Apostle Paul, the inspiration of the Spirit says, because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. Hmm. You know, you can identify, self-identify as a Christian. Say, well, I'm a Christian or I go to church. But if you don't believe the Bible is the word of God, or you're a cafeteria Christian and you say, well, I believe that this part of the Bible is inspired, this part of the Bible is not. Uh, you've elevated yourself above the scriptures. And as soon as you do that, okay, suddenly man becomes the measure of all things, not the message of God's word. And I think when you go down that path, that's where you set yourself up for deception. I was reading a, uh, a thread on the uh, internet uh, earlier uh, about a very prominent uh, you know, uh, quote unquote evangelical Christian with the impeccable credentials and Christian family background, famous pastor father and, and all this, right seminary and all this stuff, who is uh, pretty ardent, ardently uh, pro-homosexual. 
as far as uh, his church is concerned. And he will say these things in private and he'll kind of equivocate when he makes public statements. But, uh, you know, when, when you see individuals like this and you start to say, and he, you know, in the, uh, the thread it says, well, I just think some people are born that way and they'll never change. They're, they'll born, they'll, they're just born that way. I'm like, whatever happened to, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things passed away, behold, new things have come. Well, here's an individual who has, for whatever reasons, maybe personal reasons, you know, who knows, maybe just wanted to be popular or expand uh, the level of ministry, who has said, in essence, no, these clear teachings in God's word about the practice of our sexuality. One man, one woman committed together for life. If I, through heterosexual lust, violate these things before marriage, I've committed fornication. After marriage, I've committed adultery. If another individual, say, struggles with uh, homosexual lust, violates that boundary, uh, well, once again, they've gotten in the area of sexual sin. And the Bible's very, very clear about that. Now, I don't say that because I made it up or because I like it. It's because it's what the Scripture absolutely teaches. Mm. But when we get to a place where we're like, well, you know, I mean, that's just Paul. Or, you know, Jesus never really dealt with that issue directly. Uh, that's where I think you open the door wide to deception. Because then other factors, like, say, being popular or having access to certain uh, places politically or financially, um, these sort of things, wanting to belong to the right group, wanting to be seen as hip and with it, uh, these are the things that start to take over at that point. And I think that can blind you so fast it'll make your head spin, mm -hmm. you know, um, to um, paraphrase uh, the Eagles. As far as deception goes, uh, people can't take you anywhere. You don't already know how to go. Uh, oftentimes people will be deceived because they kind of want to be deceived. They've already made up their mind that a certain thing is uh, more in keeping with their own values, and they don't want the Bible to mess it up. So that, that I think, is where that comes from. I don't want the Bible to mess it up. That's, that's pretty funny. I mean, not funny, but curious. <laughs> <laughs> curious. Curiouser and curiouser, as they say. Well, thanks for that. That's really good advice. Um, you know, it's... I've seen on social media, especially during the lockdowns, people, believers that I know well, and I, I even succumb to this at times where it's easy to divide with someone over a political issue when you realize that you've now robbed yourself of your Christian witness because now they don't want to have anything to do to hear what you have to say because you've, you've solidified that division over political issues rather than what's more, more important. Yeah. In other words, your citizenship in the Republican Party was more important than your citizenship in heaven at that moment. <laughs> yeah. So it's a really good advice. Thank you for sharing that. Um, and uh, there's a couple. There's, I'll go to one question here, and I'm not quite sure if it's really a Bible question. It's more about uh, who's out there. Um, someone wanted to know, uh, Eagleton, S.A. Eagleton, does anyone know if the, on the show know if the Bible says, quote-unquote, is a reputable site for biblical commentary. I've never been to the site, but Scott, are you familiar with the Bible says? Um, again, uh, you know, just uh, I haven't uh, explored it uh, in an in-depth way. Uh, we'll take a look at it, and uh, we can get back to you more about that uh, uh, in, in a, uh, a later uh, uh, broadcast. One thing I will say uh, about it, 
uh, is, uh, and this always just uh, gives me a little bit of a check, um, uh, you know, they have an endorsement from a director of student development at the King's College, but uh, whenever they don't lead with a statement of faith um, and say, this is where we're coming from on uh, these crucial issues, um, I'm always a little bit leery. Uh, so, um, you know, when you look at it, it uh, says you can browse their commentaries by book, biblical timeline, biblical maps, uh, you know, things along this line. Uh, you know, again, I think uh, it's really important uh, to, uh, you know, essentially uh, take a look at uh, what their doctrinal statement is. And if you've got to, you know, kind of go around the block a few times to find out uh, where they stand on some essential scriptural issues, including, you know, do they subscribe to the doctrine of biblical inerrancy? Um, you know, what is their view uh, in terms of um, some crucial issues on, say, eschatology and so forth? Uh, you know, sometimes when you come across these things, you'll find that, and I'm not saying this categorically about the Bible says, uh, but I think you will find that sometimes there will be cult groups that will say, uh, discover Bible truth or things like this. And uh, really, it's sort of a door uh, to uh, get involved uh, with their particular, per, per, uh, particular uh, group. Uh, so uh, anyway, uh, we will uh, take a look at that and give you a, uh, a more in-depth answer and all of that. Great. Thank you. Uh, someone emailed us, and I'm not sure if this got covered last week, so I'm going to throw it out there. But uh, they were asking about the differences between the New King James and the King James, specifically relating to uh, Proverbs 12, chapter 12, verse 26. And one, I think the King James, it says that um, the righteous are more excellent than their neighbors. And the New King James, James says that the righteous are careful when choosing their friends and the person was concerned that gosh these seem to have radically different meaning should I reevaluate my commitment to using the New King James if you could maybe shed some light on that well uh, what you're dealing with is a very classic uh, portion of uh, uh, Hebrew interpretation uh, when uh, you know Jesus said not a, one jot or tittle will pass from the law till all things are accomplished the jot refers to the smallest letter of the Hebrew alphabet, which is the yod. The tittle uh, refers to the tiny little stroke of a pen that differentiates one Hebrew letter from another. Uh, like in English, it would be the difference between, say, a capital E and a capital F. Uh, you know, Jesus was saying that, you know, God is one who preserves this forever. So when we say that we believe uh, Jesus' statement there, we believe in the inerrancy and authority of God's word and that we do have God's word today, uh, what we're saying is, in the original, the original manuscripts, um, God definitely inspired it. What we aren't saying is that every uh, copy of these manuscripts, uh, the original manuscript, uh, was passed down uh, without some kind of alteration. The good news, though, is that we have the opportunity to be able to compare manuscript with manuscript and come up with a pretty good idea of what's saying. There are uh, what we would call some textual variants, uh, for lack of a better term, where one particular passage in the you know seems to be rendered a certain way, another seems to be rendered in a different way. But when we take a look, uh, you know, at uh, in most cases uh, the flow of the passage, what it says in context, some of these um, 
scribal errors, you know, where uh, the scribes were writing these manuscripts down that crept in, or even interpretive decisions where Hebrew uh, is not as precise a language as Greek. Uh, you know, it's funny, when I was in seminary, uh, you discovered that it was kind of like algebra and geometry. Your brain was wired one way or the other. You either liked Hebrew and you didn't like Greek, or you liked Greek and you didn't like Hebrew. Well, I really like Greek uh, because I was raised on Romance languages. Uh, you know, again, I had a lot of Spanish in my uh, high school and college background. And uh, the thing about uh, Romance languages, they're all basically uh, trace their uh, grammatical roots back to Greek. And uh, Greek is a very precise language. You learn the rules, you learn the vocabulary, you learn how to spot the different verb tenses and things along this line, you do it. It's just very straightforward. Hebrew, on the other hand, is a Semitic language, and it is very vivid, it's very descriptive, uh, it's very good on uh, describing certain events going on, but man, oh man, uh, you know, uh, you just see like the, instead of rules there's just exceptions uh you know it's it's like a non-english speaker learning english you know they, they will complain about the fact that uh, you know, oh you know just all these really confusing things in there so hebrew can be like that and uh when you know say for instance uh in the book of zechariah where it says they will look upon the one whom they have pierced um the there is a way to translate that word pierced in just the way that uh, it's rendered in the English, you know, and, and so on. But some rabbis wanting to nullify the idea that this was referring to the crucifixion of Christ will say, well, that can also be translated as, as a lion. And they're right. But why is that word similar to being as a lion? Well, because the business end of a lion tends to be their claws. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and, and that, you know, the tearing of a lion is kind of the underlying root there. So is it they will look upon the one as a lion, or they will look upon the one whom they pierced. Well, you take a look at the context of all of this and the mm -hmm. fact that there's mourning that it's involved in all this, very, very clear from the context that the traditional and the vast majority of interpretations of that passage would say that particular thing. Where Proverbs gets tricky is that, you know, if you read through Proverbs, you get a lot of shotgun sort of statements about uh, different subjects, and one doesn't necessarily lead into the other. And so in the passage that, uh, that you're referring to there, you know, this idea that it could be rendered, you know, really differently, uh, you know, don't let that cause you to toss in the towel or despair of being able to understand uh, what the Bible says. First of all, these are the gross exceptions, not the rule that we find in scripture they stand out like a sore thumb there's a couple of passages in proverbs that fit this description proverbs 16 and proverbs chapter 12 but when you take a look at it and you take a look at the general tenor of the chapter okay what kind of situations and what kind of wisdom is being given here you can pretty much come down to an idea of what was said here another great way uh to kind of uh, check your work so to speak is that uh, the Old Testament was translated into a Greek version called the Septuagint. Uh, it referred to the 70-some Jewish scholars that were commissioned to put together a translation from the Hebrew into the Greek so that people that weren't raised with Hebrew, which was a dying language at that particular point, uh, could understand it. Well, when you take a look at the Septuagint and how these people that obviously spoke 
uh, biblical Hebrew and obviously spoke New Testament Greek, you look at how a particular passage is rendered, that can also give you a clue. So the, the goal is to try to get back to the original. In, in those two cases, in Proverbs 12 and Proverbs uh, 16, um, there's, uh, there's some controversy about it. Hmm. And uh, both sides seem to have you know, a case to be made. Uh, the New King James will render it a certain way based upon, say, uh, not just uh, the Texas Receptus, for instance, that it was based upon. Uh, well, the Masoretic text. And the Masoretic the text. text. Yeah. Uh, but also the other texts that we have that can shed light on that particular passage. So it will kind of update it in a sense. And some people that are very traditional, King James only, you know, 1611, only way to heaven, uh, that, <laughs> that kind of thing, are, are going to say, oh, well, you know, they changed the Bible and can't trust the whole thing, mm. you know. So when I teach through a passage like that, I'll just be very upfront about it. I'll say, well, there are some manuscripts where this is rendered in this way. Uh, there are others that are rendered in this other way. But uh, in this particular passage, let's face it, no major doctrine of Judaism or Christianity mm. is in view there. It's just yeah. advice, if you will. And keep in mind that the King James was written in old Shakespearean English. Right. So this could mean the same thing forsooth <laughs> as the new king james just we don't have that maybe nuanced understanding of the english language that because it says that the neighbor is more uh, that the righteous are better or more excellent than their neighbor why well, I, I just looked up the hebrew word that they translated excellent and it could mean to seek for or to seek out or to investigate or excellent yeah, it could be either one. So yeah. the King James Committee probably looked at it and went, "Well, excellent. That's what it means." But, but notice, but, but notice what you did. You did your homework, and you're like, "Okay, I know why it was rendered that way." You know, that's a real possibility. And then you pray and you say, "Okay, Lord, you know, show me what your truth is," mm -hmm. and and uh, you come down with a particular take on that sort of thing. Uh, you know, again, as a uh, Bible teacher, having taught through Proverbs, I'll give an account someday of how I taught that particular passage hmm. by the author himself. And, and the best way that I have peace about all of that is just saying, I did my homework. Hmm. You know, maybe I got it wrong, but I did my homework. I had justifiable reasons <clears throat> for rendering a partic this particular mm -hmm. passage. Yeah. But like I say, this is the, the, the incredible minority of texts we find in the Old Testament, mm -hmm. so don't worry about that. Don't and, give up the ship. And the other thing I would yeah. say is man, go to a, uh, a website like BibleHub.com mm -hmm. where you can look up that passage and see how it's rendered in like 25 different translations. Yeah. And you can compare and contrast and come to your conclusion. <clears throat> but not a good reason to throw out the New King James. No. Definitely not a good reason. No. I mean, no. they had a, a group of 130 scholars to take the manuscripts, which have way more in abundance in 1975, and they took, I think they published the New Testament in 79 or 80, and along with Proverbs, and then they did the rest of it in like 1982. Mm -hmm. um, they, they wanted to retain the, the King James style, but they went back to the original languages and re they took five years to rethink through, okay, was this the best rendering and how could I say this in modern English? Yeah, not in Elizabethan <laughs> English. Yeah. You know, I mean, who today knows what concupiscence means? Yeah, <laughs> right. You know, so. So, yeah, it's way, a great it's translation. By the not something you ever want to do. But, <laughs> <laughs> but it's a great translation. So thanks for the uh, question. It's a good question, too, to ask about, 
you know, uh, translations that seem to say something a little bit different than what another translation will say and uh, do your homework. Yeah. Good stuff. Um, I had a question. Um, let me, well, let me double check, make sure we don't have any new questions, but it looks like there's a little debate going on on YouTube, so I'll <laughs> leave that. But uh, something when we started the program uh, popped into my mind and I thought this might be a good question for uh, the use of apologetics. You mentioned how the enemy will persecute God's people and when in there in history has there ever been a small sliver of land more persecuted than the people the people of Israel? I mean, when they became a nation in 1948, every humongous Arab nation around them committed themselves to obliterating them into nothingness, into non-existence. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Could you, not just the prophetic aspects of it, like the prediction of the future and fulfillment of prophecy, but you know, usually when the world, if the if the world is under, or the, I should say, if the if the minds of the unbelieving have been blinded by the evil one, the nations of the world will hate you on account of me. Isn't it kind of a good uh, argument to say that the persecution of God's people in Israel is a good indication that Christianity is true, that the Judeo-Christian uh, view of God and and who Jesus was, and all that is kind of proving i mean could you use that as an evidence in some way well it i've, I've heard it i there there's an a, a story that's told about a um, uh, advisor in the king of louis the 14th of france and uh, louis the 14th asked uh, because voltaire and other people like that were you know doing uh, land office business as far as promoting atheism in france at that point and uh, louis the 14th asked his advisor can you think of one incontrovertible evidence of the existence of god and uh, the advisor said the jews your Highness, the Jews. And, uh, you know, one of the things that we point out is uh, what's called uh, the uh, five-generation rule in cultural anthropology. If you take any people group and you remove them from their native land, uh, their, their culture, their heritage, uh, and scatter them to a different culture and heritage, within five generations, they become completely assimilated into their new uh, digs, if you will. Uh, you know, they, they, they lose their language, they lose their identity, they lose their culture, they just become, you know, lost to the sands of time. That's why uh, we don't really see very many uh, Edomites or Hittites uh, or people like that wandering around these days, people that identify with these groups. So, uh, you know, but the Jews are the radical exception to that rule, not just because uh, they maintained their national identity, their culture, their language, their, their faith, uh, oh, you know, well over five generations removed from their homeland, but also under intense pressure to conform and go along with these other cultures. As a matter of fact, uh, you know, when uh, we, we talk about uh, the persecution of the Jews, particularly in the Middle Ages, one of the reasons they were persecuted was uh, because uh, they found themselves in a place where when the bubonic plague was sweeping through Europe, uh, it would seemingly bypass uh, these Jewish neighborhoods, these Jewish cultures. Why? Because they were practicing the Mosaic law as far as hygiene was concerned. And so rats and fleas and things like that that pa- passed along bubonic plague, you know, contact with dead bodies, things like this, weren't a part of that. Well, the people around them, uh, because they didn't understand germ theory or the fact that fleas were passing this infection along, uh, they said, ah, well, the reason they're being passed by is because uh, they're the sons of Satan. He's protecting them. And so they attack them anyway. You know? so, so even when you're doing the right thing, you, you kind of get the back of the hand. 
So, you know, when you take a look at that, you know, how could the Jewish people survive all these years? How could they survive uh, these three different wars of extermination that happens just since they've become a nation? In some cases where they were caught with their guard down, mm. it was the Lord himself intervening on their behalf. Mm. So, yeah, I would say that's, that's a very compelling thing to think about as far as the existence of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and his faithfulness to his promises to his people. In the modern era, what would you say are the most significant moments that you could use? Let's say you're in a conversation with an atheist or an agnostic, someone who just doesn't believe in the existence of God. How, what point, what moments would you point to to say, this doesn't make any sense outside a miracle doing God? Yeah, I would just say, uh, you know, are you familiar with uh, what happened in the Yom Kippur War? Uh, the fact that, uh, for instance, uh, Syrian tanks swept over uh, the, uh, the border with Israel. Syria controlled the Golan Heights, and from the Golan Heights you can see all the way down to Jerusalem on a clear day, uh, because it was Yom Kippur, the holiest day in Judaism. Uh, you know, there was just basically a skeleton crew of IDF people out there. The, the Jews were absolutely caught uh, with their guard down. Uh, these uh, Syrian tank battalions just swept over the border and were about to go into the, the Valley of Megiddo and basically cut Israel in half uh, and uh, you know, essentially seal their fate. Uh, we're told that uh, Golda Meir and, and the others that were uh, in charge of uh, the, uh, the defense of Israel uh, seriously considered what they called the Samson option, that is using nuclear weapons and go down like Samson did. But the Syrian tank commander thought it was too easy, so he stopped his tanks and waited for wow. three hours for, uh, for information to come in. Israel was able to respond. Wow. Well, Coincidence? I think not. <laughs> thanks, thanks for tuning in. Joining us as we continue our journey through God's Word, one question of the heart at a time. Until we meet again, we would love to connect with you. You can text or email your questions to questionsforhope at gmail.com. You can also find out more about our ministry at calvarychristianfellowship.com. And be sure to join us next time on A Reason for Hope. A Reason for Hope is an outreach ministry of Calvary Christian Fellowship in Tucson, Arizona.